in the last hour that we were talking about today, marking one year since the terrible death of Ashling Murphy in Tullamore. She had strong Limerick connections, a former student recently of Mary Immaculate College in Limerick and Michael Keane from MIC was telling us in the last hour that they have established a scholarship in her name which will have a focus on traditional music and its study and that was something she was very passionate about. But her death sparked a conversation a big one right across the country including in Limerick about violence against women in Ireland. Vigils were held in her name at communities across the country and worldwide and there was a significant one at Mary Immaculate College itself. But what if anything has changed in the 12 months in between. Our own Moira joins me in the studio and on the line are psychotherapist Karen Sugru and Stephanie Di Croce with the Limerick feminist group Rosa. Good morning to you all um, and just to say that uh, obviously um, her awful and tragic death is the subject of criminal proceedings at the moment so uh, we're going to talk about this uh, in uh, the wider context largely. Um, but uh, Karen, in ways it's hard to believe that it's a year since uh, this terrible tragedy, isn't it? Good morning, Joe. Um, yes, it is. Um, in one way it is, but at, at the same time, we have to look at what has changed. And the, the, the issue is that nothing has changed. In fact, I would say that things have got worse. Um, in 2022 actually was the worst year in a decade for violence against girls and women. So last year there was a lot of performative talk from people and never again. And actually what has happened since then is that things are worse. And I think we really need to have a very robust discussion about how much worse they are and why they are worse. And a lot of talk uh, out there is about what women can do to keep themselves safe, Joe. And I think we need to stop talking about what women need to do. And we need to start talking about what men need to do. Because if you look at the statistics, uh, the the vast, vast, vast majority, 98% of the, the perpetrators and offenders are men. So women's behaviour is fine. The problem here is men's behaviour. And that's not what we're addressing. So I would really like to see a discussion, and, and I have a lot of things that I want to say this morning, about how we can speak to men and how men can speak to each other. Um, it's just not helpful anymore to, to say anything about women because women are caught in one of the worst catch-22s imaginable. We are told what to wear, where to go, how to travel, what to drink, how to behave. We're expected to be aware and keep ourselves safe at all times. Uh, if something happens, we're blamed and shamed. And as we saw in the past, our knickers are held up in court to be commented on. If we report things to the police, we're told that we're wasting police time. And if we don't report things to police, we're told that we're liars or we're not believed or we're told our appearance is commented on. We're too fat, we're too old, we're too ugly, we're psychos. Or, as in the case of Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, we're sued for talking about our experience. Women just cannot win. Um, so we need to talk about and, men. Yeah, and, and we were part here at Live 95 uh, among a number of radio stations of the Call This Out campaign um, in the wake of Ashley Murphy's death. And it, it was that point that you were making that, you know, men have a responsibility to yes. call this out. Yes. And this is, this, is, this is profoundly important because everybody said this at the time. And there was uh, lots of performative talk about calling it out. I don't see anybody calling anything out. And this is this is 
profoundly frustrating because the thing is, we are there's a lot of talk about who does these things and there's a lot of racist discussions nationally um, blaming certain groups of people. The thing that we tend to do is we tend to other the people who do this. And I think that the message needs to be very, made very clear. This is not some random weirdo. This is uh, our sons, our brothers, our dads. It's our best friends. It is the popular kid at school. It is. There's a case at the moment ongoing where a 12-year-old girl got a text from a 12-year-old boy in her class uh, threatening to rape her. That's who it is. So we need to call on men to look at their behaviour, their friends' behaviour, and the things that they do to perpetuate this problem. Do they laugh at those jokes? Because they do, and we know that they do. Do they use gendered language? Again, we know that they do, and that dehumanises women. Uh, Dads need to look at the way in which they talk about women in front of their sons. We have got to call on men to address their behaviour, and the very first thing that men need to do is recognise that it is they who are doing these things. Mm. We're chatting to Karen Sugru. As I mentioned, our own Maura Nolan's with me in the studio. I mean, you're a younger woman, so what is your sense of what's happened over the last 12 months compared to what was happening before it? I I have to agree with Karen. Excuse me, I'd have to agree with Karen there. Not much has changed in the sense at all. Excuse me. I remember when Karen actually was on last year where we were speaking about um, women being groped in nightclubs. And I remember a listener got in touch to say that she was being bothered by um, one man in a nightclub, but that his friends were kind of jeering him on. So yes. when when you have a group of friends that are jeering this one person on, they're not calling out behaviour. They think it's funny. So how are yeah. you expecting things to change if, if there's a group of 10 men and not one single one of them says, oh no, this is wrong. We should leave these women alone. You know that kind of way. And I suppose the sense too might be that younger men would be more enlightened. You know, that um, the, the societal shift that we think may have happened or partly happened or maybe is only perceived to have happened would have had a positive impact, Maura? I'd like to say it was. But then when you're even the news last week, um, Andrew Tate, when you have misogynists like Andrew Tate online constantly talking, really saying demeaning things about women, the actions he'd do to them mm. and things like that, you have younger men listening, especially kids. They they listen to Andrew Tate and they, they sometimes... And just because they don't really know much else, they might take his word for gospel. So how are things going to change if you have people like that talk? Like, he's on charges for in Romania at the moment for rape and human trafficking. He once stated that he he moved from UK to Romania because the rape charges were more lenient there. Like, when you have people talking like that online, how are you supposed to expect things to change at all? Mm. Uh, now, uh, last year, the government launched its zero-tolerance strategy, and on the anniversary of Ashley Murphy's death, our own Sandra Quinn talked to the Violence Against Women Coordinator for the National Women's Council, Ivana Yochak, and she started by reflecting on how Ashley's death affected people on this day last year. I think uh, it was clear very clear from the from the first day that uh, a lot of people show a huge amount of grief, anger, as well as support, even on the day and all the days that followed that day. And I think it actually has been present uh, during the whole year. Just looking at what has changed in that year, can you see any major changes or what has been done since? 
I believe that the the, the changes ha- haven't been uh, significant in the sense that since Ashling uh, was murdered, 11 other women have been killed in the Republic and five more in Northern Ireland. So obviously there's still so much to be done. Um, however, we have in place, the government has launched uh, a strategy that it's very clear about zero tolerance uh, on violence against women. However, we're still waiting for that uh, strategy to be fully implemented and to be well-resourced. What else do you want to see done? I mean, where are we falling down? Like, is it a, is it a case of needing a seismic shift in the way men think about women or, you know, sort of a cultural change? Is that what's needed? Femicides or the murder of women um, are really the tip of the iceberg of a full range of violence. Thankfully, the strategy does address all these aspects like prevention, uh, the protection of victims and survivors, there is prosecution, there is policy. So I think and I think that is the right approach in the sense that we need really to address the whole spectrum of violence. But as you pointed out, uh, prevention, and especially from early stages, like the likes of education with children, um, like the social, personal and health education, relationship and sexuality education are really important to prevent gender-based violence. And I think that's key because other measures will address the protection policy and so on, but prevention is key. And I believe that everyone and men included, had a great role in preventing violence against women. That's Ivana Yuchak, who is the Violence Against Women Coordinator for the National Women's Council. And uh, we also have joining our discussion this morning, Stephanie de Croce with the Limerick Feminist Group, Rosa. And good morning to you, Stephanie. And uh, we have uh, heard uh, from three participants in this debate already. All of them are agreed that either very little or nothing at all has changed in the last 12 months. Are you of the same view? I have to say I am, and I, I really appreciate all of the um, the really great insights that have been talked about so far. Um, I, I think that one one thing really stands out to me, especially when you look at budget, the budget um, 2023. Um, the Horse and Greyhound Fund was given $91 million. Domestic Sexual and Gender Abuse Violence Services, $37 million. I think that that kind of just put in stark realization the value that is placed on on, on preventing gender-based violence in this country, um, that we're not even valued as high as, as horses and dogs. Um, and I think that, that that is actually a really important thing to kind of take into consideration when you consider the, the actual cultural impact that that has. If the government is literally putting out a budget that says that this is not worth as much, this is not valued as much, that, that preventing femicide, present, preventing misogynistic violence is not valued as much as blood sport, really, as, 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 um, as uh, horses and dogs, then how does that trickle down? How does that value then I take the oral point you're making. We might get into the blood sport debate now today well, because there are a lot of yeah, people who believe that enough. horse racing and greyhound racing is not blood sport, but we won't get into that. But we, sure, we, have to fo- we need sure. to focus on what Absolutely. we're actually focused on yep. this morning. But I suppose in general terms then, um, you know, a bit as Karen said at the beginning, um, and she expressed her extreme frustration, that yeah. it feels as though the response, in your view, was simply on the surface. That, you know, the, the right things were said at the time, but in reality, 
there has been no significant effort to change the societal approach. No, and, and I think that that is, I think that, like, the reason why I bring up the, that statistic, that, that, that the monetary statistic, is because I really do think that that shows the systematic devaluation of women, of people who experience misogyny in this country. And that if that's happening at the highest level, if that is literally happening at, at the governmental level, how, how then does that affect, both reflect and affect, the systematic devaluation of lives. And if, those, if, if, if our lives, if, if, if women's lives, if people who experience misogyny, we see the rise in homophobic violence as well, if, if, if we're actually saying at, at the monetary level, at the budgetary level, that these lives are devalued, then that devaluation then takes place within the culture at large. And I think that that is a, a major, a major problem. And, and it, just, it, just, it, it just shows, it just kind of exposes, exposes the, um, the failures failures at the systematic level. Um, and Karen Sugru, I mean, you know, I'm I'm trying to separate all this out, even in my own mind, you, you know, the, the intellectual arguments that you're making this morning, they all resonate with me. Um, what I struggle more with as a man, being honest, is, is your point about, you know, men are doing this and they're, they're us, do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're 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 all of us, and and yeah. we we have to, you know, come to grips with that because the the natural tendency, I suppose, when you hear that, is to do as you said at the beginning. Well, it's not me. I mean, what what yes. do you mean? You know? Yes, and and this is very very often what we see. And just to say, just to pick up on Steph's point um, about the the system systemic and structural devaluation of women's lives and health. I think uh, being reflected in the budget is such an important point. Um, and it, 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 don't forget the, the lack of, of women's representation in government. And we have to see links to this. The way in which women's lives and health are not represented in the focus and priorities of government. But on top um, of that, of course, Karen, there is the reality, it seems, that for women, there is more abuse, including on social media and online, yes. of women in politics yes as a general yes. rule, than of men. So that's just driving women away from it or maybe refusing to enter it at all. This is exactly the problem. Now, we need, as, as Steph said with the priorities of budget, we need more diverse voices to make budgets, to, to put forward these points. But because of the violence against women, the threats, the abuse, the harassment, uh, women and diverse voices are thinking to themselves, why would I bother doing that? And I have to say, and I think this is really important in terms of priorities, the Gardaí released a statement to um, all politicians yesterday um, about how to keep themselves safe. And one of the things that they said to keep themselves safe is that women should wear comfortable shoes so that they could run away quickly. Now, this is profoundly damaging for many, many reasons. Uh, one of them is that it puts the onus on ourselves to keep ourselves safe rather than on the perpetrator and the offender um, committing the behaviours. But also it sends a very strong message about priorities. So there we have a priority um, from government saying we're not going to give money to this. We're also hearing from the Gordie that, well, it's, it's kind of on you to keep yourself safe. Now, I have to say, and I, I and this is really important. There won't be a single woman in your office, Joe. There won't be a single woman listening today who hasn't at some point in their lives been assaulted, harassed, abused, groped, catcalled, who hasn't felt terrified walking home, um, who hasn't had, you know, been abused when they were out. Not one woman will go through their lives without having this experience. Um, but when we call attention to this, 
we're told we're attention-seeking or we're liars. This is the problem, and yet government and the Gordi cannot make it their their priority. Right. And Joe, just to say, as, as you said, men think constantly, it's not me. But I would really invite men listening to this to say to themselves, well, what have you done this week, this day, this month, this year, to step in when you have heard sexist banter, when you have heard jokes, when you have seen or heard some kind of abuse? Because the vast majority of men simply look the other way right. and that's not good um, oh, and look the government and the guarantee will have their own views on these things and we'll try and get to all of that and we're, uh, obviously we're, we're trying to give this uh, as holistic an approach as possible on the show but Maura um, the, the, the point there that um, was made by Karen that there is no woman n- no woman she says who hasn't experienced at least one of the things that she outlined absolutely yeah no I can guarantee you Every, if you know a woman, they've experienced something like that at any stage in their life, no matter how old or young they are. And it's the point as well that there's, no, there's nowhere really that women can feel 100% safe because you think of going for a run, you think of Ashley Murphy. When you think of um, in the future getting married and settling down with a partner, you think of Rachel O'Reilly, who was murdered by her husband. When you think of meeting people online, you're scared because you've heard of women who have been killed because they've gone on a date in their own home, sleeping, a man comes in, going going to a restaurant, walking home, getting catcalled. It's, it's an endless, there's, there's no place where a woman can really say they feel 100 million percent safe. Um, and and it, what's fascinating, I think, about that, Stephanie, is that that is a clear divide, I would think, experientially, when compared to men. I think if you talk to men, it's quite reasonable to say that only a minority of them would be able uh, to uh, give similar examples. Yes, yeah, no, and, and of course, um, that, that would, most people who would, would fall in would be people who, who would experience misogyny. So if you do have men who do experience that fear, generally, like I said, there has been a rise in homophobic violence as well tends to be queerphobic violence. But yes, I mean, one of the points that I, I, had, I had, you know, during the, the vigils last year and during the stand-ups last year um, around this time was that at this time of year in, 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 um, in, in the winter when you're basically confined to the house, um, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you're saying don't go out at night, I mean, you know, what, what hours are you allowed out during the day? Um, but I really but do I, think I've that, had it at home yeah. myself. I mean, my, my, you know, my wife has gone for runs in the dark. And and I'll be honest, I have said to her, really? And she said, well, you know, I'm going to go because, you know, I'm not going to allow my life to be dictated yeah. um, otherwise. And I get that. But I, I'll be completely honest and say I, I was worried until she came back every time she did it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I can. And yeah, <laughs> and that's a kind of a fraction of that worry that, that does go around. But you do. You, it, it is a question of kind of like what? of having to make that decision every single time you do something. But I do think that there is... But isn't, um, that, isn't I, that truly, I mean, isn't that truly awful? I mean, that, you know, doesn't that and, and, and the other examples that uh, the three of you have outlined, is, is that not the nub of this? But it, it doesn't appear, from what you've said, that A, there has been any change, and B, there's any realistic prospect of it. Well, I think that it's important to point out that I think that there has been a rise in, in really, in, as far as kind of ordinary people go, there has been a rise in awareness. And I think that there has been 
um, the fact that we had so many people out, the fact that we had so many people out in the streets during these vigils, that we have people coming to stand out, that we actually have people speaking out, that there has been a rise in confidence in, in solidarity. And I think that that is the real way that we make this change, is by actually having the solidarity groups, having people come together, organize together, working class people organize together. And especially one of the things that I think that could impact this the most is if our trade unions, especially trade unions that represent majority female workforces, care work, um, hospital work, these, these kind of um, trade unions, if they were to come forward and step forward and actually make demands, make the demands that this, that, you know, a hundred shelters don't take place over five years, that we don't have um, um, domestic sexual and gender-based violence funding at half of, of, of animal sports that we don't that if our trade unions actually made those demands with the backing of the the workers that they represent with that organized force behind them i really think that that is the difference that can be made because none of this is inevitable people are not born with this violence this is something that is actually and that's i think that is the thing to point out to men is that men are not born with this this encoded into them this is not something that is inevitable this is not something that is just a fact of life this is something that is systemic and that has has a source and we can we can fight it together okay well listen we certainly didn't want to let the first anniversary of ashling murphy um in general but also with her very strong limerick connections pass without having this discussion and this debate uh, this morning and, and I think it's worth saying that particularly uh, the women on this team wanted to make sure that we did that and quite rightly and um, I, I'm delighted that we've had the discussion although it's depressing that it's necessary um, but thank you very much for talking to us this morning and it's a theme that we will continue during the course of this year you can be absolutely certain Stephanie Di Croce with the Limerick Feminist Group Rosa and uh, psychotherapist Karen Sugru and our own Maura Nolan uh, thank you